Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Colin. This is episode 28, The Cost of Living Today. The NLIHC just released the new cost of living report for 2022. Based on their report, most Americans are not paid enough to live in their state. Are you receiving proper wages? What are your thoughts? So I see we have Roger Meadows already on the on the line. <laughs> I know Roger probably has a lot to say. So let's go ahead and bring you in. So you just have to hit unmute. Hey, Sad. Hey, Roger. What's up? What you is know, going know. on? <laughs> when you're coming to Long Island next, next, no, September, right? Yeah, September. I'll be there with uh, Bank Sisters and um, a couple other. I think Quaker Socialists will be there as well, and other activists. Okay, all right. It's about an hour from me, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> cool beans. It'd be great to see you. It'd be great to see you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you too. Um, so I'm happy that you did this. Um, we finally got around to it. <laughs> I knew, I said, you know, cause it got to a point where I said, you know what, maybe I'll just wait until the next report comes out and stop bugging her. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but just to let everyone know, this thing comes out every July. It used to come out every June. Now it comes out every July. They're, they're located in DC. So like, you know, you could call them up or whatever. It's funny cause you did a little bit more in-depth reading than I did. I just looked at, at the numbers, but like all of the other reading that you talked about, not even, you know, I knew about it. I just said, where's my state at? Um, but there is a solution to this, at least, well, more than one solution. What I would propose, if I lived in a ballot initiative state like you and Eric and New Edition, because they're from Boston and anybody else on the call, <laughs> who is from a ballot initiative state. But what I would do is have a ballot initiative law, minimum wage law, mandating where 25% of monthly income made from minimum wage earnings automatically rise with local rental costs for a two-bedroom apartment. So as rental rates go up, then automatically so does the minimum wage to stay ahead. Not match, stay ahead. Levy a wage tax on large corporations to subsidize small and medium-sized businesses so they can cover 85% to 100% of their labor costs. Because, you know, they always want to hide behind, you know, small business, you know, like all these big money rich people always like to hide behind small business. What about the small business? You know, like you care about the small business. So we'll take care of them. Well, Place a, we'll place a wage tax on you guys so that we can give it to small to medium sized businesses. And as their company grows, that subsidy shrinks. This would circumvent the franchise protection argument that corporations like to do when they say they can't raise wages because franchise owners are small business businesses that have the leeway to do what they feel is best. This minimum wage, this minimum wage law would say fine. McDonald's, McDonald's corporate, we will tax you and give it to your franchise owners so that they can give it to their employees. 
if any franchise owner chooses not to put that towards their employees, the minimum wage, then they will be in direct violation of the minimum wage law, thus forcing them to pick up the cost themselves. Now, something else you can do on the other end, you could do what uh, Mississippi does, did, and just build more affordable homes. You know, that's what their government does. You know, they build more, you know, Jimmy Dore had a thing on that. He did like two segments on it, one from a month ago and one from yesterday. Um, and you know, cause they got it from Finland or whatever the case is. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm just saying anybody who lives in a ballot initiative state, use that. Cause I've been looking at, I've been, you know, I've been doing these ballot initiative things with, with Kira from Hardlands Media. And we've been taking a look at the minimum wage things that they're pushing on the ballot initiative. I remember one state was, we'll get to a ballot initiative to get to $15 an hour by 2026. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> okay. You know, um, there was another one. Oh, I think it's your state. I forgot. No, it was a state. I forgot which one it was where they was doing, it might be your state or Missouri that said, um, they had a ballot initiative that would cap uh, uh, interest rates for, I think, credit cards at 36% and raise the minimum wage to like $15. And I remember Dan from Hardlands Media made it made a joke and said they should flip that around. You know, so, you know, 36 mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, but... Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. I just wanted to just provide some solutions and give something, someone to think about. Um, but yeah, yeah. well, Roger, I have to ask, were you surprised by some of the numbers? Cause I was really surprised by, I mean, I know my state's expensive. I'll just keep it real. I, I know it's expensive here, but I was surprised by some of the numbers that I saw. I only wasn't surprised because I've been downloading, downloading that report for the past five or six years. So I already wow. knew. I remember at one time New York. So now this year they're saying $45 to New York State. Um, if if I go back, I don't know, maybe four or five years, it was saying New York State should be like $28. Like that. So I, I wasn't surprised because I just keep up with it. You know, um, so like. That's a big jump. Yeah. I mean, it went from like, well, yeah, I mean, 28 and change 29 and change then it got to 30 and change and then it went whoop like 34 and change and now it's at like oh my bad uh 45 i think it's a yeah i gotta take a look at it again because i think i might be getting new york city and new york state confused but um i know new york city they said 45 so new york state might be in the late 30s or it might be 40 i forgot what it was but um you know still high but you know it's mostly because you know like we all know what happened right i mean yeah. um in 2008 or 2000 yeah, 2008 bush and then obama you know <clears throat> we had a little crash there you know and and certain people got bailed out and others didn't and yeah. we had, then we had a cares act and then certain people got bailed out and others didn't. So it's like, oh, we got all this money now. Let's start buying homes in the private equity. 
start buying people's homes up. You know, I'm pretty sure you might have seen that 60 Minutes episode where they talked about uh, this guy was saying, oh, no, people want us to buy their homes because they he said something, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they, they, they want to be renters, blah, 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 blah. And then they went to the couple that, you know, was was uh, want to be home buyers. It's like, no, we, we don't want to be renters starting a family. We want to build wealth or whatever the case is. But that's you know, right. So you know it's 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 all a you know a bunch of a bunch of uh, BS really. I mean, I know um, like we was talking about in the past couple of days. We was talking about uh, Senator Ramos and Senator Salazar because you know Ramos was fighting with AOC or whatever the case is. And um, and I she's the head of the uh, Senate Labor Committee. So you know I've and she knows who I am. You know what I'm saying she I saw her in. Albany and all that stuff, working with Chris Smalls. And I've said that to her for the past few years, what that little solution that I just said or whatever. Um, but, you know, she was talking about like 20 something because the unions were saying, hey, it should be 20, you know, but, you know, and, and um, I know Salazar said something about building uh, uh, more homes. I forgot what it was that, that she was um, proposing. I think. I think the hardest part is going to be uh, cities or towns that are dense. Like, for example, it's hard to like build homes in Boston because it's dense. Like it, where are you going to put it? Like you have to go further outside of Boston. And even then, like even some of the towns like outside of Boston are still, there's no land. It's just like it, you know, where do you put like down south? This would not be an issue because like North Carolina, South Carolina, you have a lot of land. But mm-hmm. up here, it's just it's so it's tough. Like it's it's just ridiculous. But, you know, the thing is, like, you know, I don't, I don't live in the city in, in the boroughs, but Manhattan that everyone pref- refers to as the city. OK, um, it's the smallest borough. Um, That's true. Brooklyn. The the landmass of it is bigger than a lot of cities. I heard it's bigger than Denver, just just that particular borough. So you know they could build it in those outer boroughs. You know people got to work in Manhattan. I mean it's nothing to get on. You know these one of these alphanumeric trains that people use. You know like I I'm not familiar with these subway system in New York City. It's all confusing to me. I just I do Long Island Railroad East West West East. That's it. That's all I know. And use buses to go north and south. But um yeah, it's nothing <laughs> for them to get on these alphanumeric train subways and just go zoop right into Manhattan. So you know you don't. I don't know if you saw the um that video yet that I sent you about uh the the sky rises. And, yes. And, oh, you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. It's yeah, it's you know what? You're right. You have a good point about Brooklyn because I was on the Q train. That's where I lived in Brooklyn in Midwood. OK, so I was on the Q. Um, but yeah, you're right. If you go a little bit further out, you could. That's a good that's a good point. Um, but it's it's just it's it's terrible that it's even come to this because I just think it's ridiculous that like. First question, how the hell are people living in Hawaii? How the hell are they affording to live there? Yeah. What kind of jobs do they have? Like, I really want to know. <laughs> what is your yeah. job? <laughs> not, I guess it's mostly military people. You know what I'm saying? The military is paying for housing because there's a lot of military bases out there. I mean, I, I, I saw I've heard. I've never been there. You know, 
But that's a good point. You know what I mean? But that's, I mean, that's like, you know, mostly what it is. But I think um, a lot of New Yorkers got, what's that word? Um, I think, you know, like when you hold out for something, like you could hold out for something to get better or you could jump on it right away. But if you remember during the pandemic, people fled the city like no tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. They fled. And they went out, you know, you had Andrew Cuomo, you know, crying. Oh, he wasn't crying, but crying on the phone to, to, to the wealthy people. Please come back to New York City. You had Adams uh, saying, oh, you know, we, we got to bring our uh, low skilled workers back and, you know, whatever the case was. So when people fled the city, the rent prices started coming down It started going down, started going down, going, going down. But then what happened was people, instead of holding out, they started coming back when the when the rent prices got down to two thousand, and then they said, "Oh, I got a steal." And they came back, and then private equity went, "Okay, um, give them some short lease or whatever, and then we'll raise the rent instead of just nah, we're gonna hold out until that until that shit comes down to one thousand dollars." You know what I mean? That you know, but you know, I was gonna say that's um the same thing that happened here in Boston. Actually, same thing. People started leaving during the pandemic and instead of kind of holding out, I mean, this is a college town. So the students, they were like, yay, September, let's come back. And I was like, and just like that, like the rent started going back up again. And I'm like, see, this is why. But but also to another thing that happened to my friend, uh, some of my friends that left New York during that time is that they were trying to say, okay, this is a time for us. Maybe we can buy a house in New Jersey because the interest rates are so low. And they said, because so many New Yorkers were doing that, that the freaking like real estate agents were like trying to take from the highest bidder. They said it was crazy because it was like so many people were like, oh, let's go buy a house like in New Jersey now. And so they were just like, we could never afford the house, even though the interest rates had dropped because it was so many people trying to do the same thing at the same time. Right. Now I remember what I was going to say about Salazar. Uh, so she wants to put a tax on um what did Caleb Mopping call it? He either called it rent speculation or real estate speculation to 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 tax, you know, because they these private equity people, you know, they it's like tr- these homes are like traded as commodities or something like that on Wall Street. I was suggesting how about we just ban private equity from b- owning homes instead of taxing them, you know, and say they could own it only under these circumstances. You know, just just ban private equity owning homes, period. And then do that's that. another good point. Yeah. Do it as a ballot initiative. <laughs> these are all, then, no, these are all good ideas. Like, because this is like this. Look, something has to give somewhere. Like, we can't continue to go on like this. Yeah, I agree. That That's why you should lead the way with the ballot initiative in Massachusetts. <laughs> I, I could, I could. Yeah, you could, you could. You got the advertiser and you say, hey, check this out. We're trying to, all my Massachusetts people. Does YouTube tell you the the states that your viewers are from? No, it just tells me the countries. Oh, shit. That sucks. Yeah, I know it does. Because, you know, like, you know, you could just shout out anybody in any of those ballot initiative states. This is what you need to do. Boom, 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 boom. Just like that. You know. Well said, to... Roger. 
Well said. I can um tell people that on Twitter because that's how I found most of the uh most of my audience um members that live in Massachusetts. I found them on Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So put pressure on states like mine who don't have ballot initiatives. That's a good point. Because usually when we pass something here, and we're usually the first ones, when we pass something here, then it also trickles down to Connecticut and uh, New Jersey and stuff. You're the only only BI state in the Northeast. You know that. Oh, not my bad. No, Maine. Maine, Maine, yeah. But they they can't amend their constitution through a BI. They could only veto and pass state law. Through a bi, but you you That's guys right. can do that three. That's right. Oh man! All right, Roger. Thanks for calling in. I'm gonna go to the next caller. Great no ideas. Problem. You too. Thanks. How do I get out? Oh, hey. All right, Tyler. You're on the mic. How Just are have you? to hit him. I am good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I have a lot to say. I'm trying to be brief because I know there's other callers. Um, first thing is, thank you. You're my new favorite commentator. I really appreciate you. I love RBN, but I especially love you. I I really, really like that you took time to talk about this issue because it's a big one for all kinds of working class people all over. Um, so thanks. I know you're going to get all kinds of internet hate for all kinds of things that you say, but I want to give you some love on this because this one's huge. And, uh, and I really appreciate you for all kinds of things, but this one, um, so I have some experiences that lend to some perspectives on this. One is I grew up and lived in most of these expensive places that you talked about. I'm from Vermont. Originally, I spent about half my adult life in Colorado. I spent some years out in California. Um, and I also am a carpenter by trade. So I'm in the housing industry, um, as it were. And so when lumber prices move to historic highs like they did during the pandemic, that's something that affects me like directly, right? So I pay attention to these kinds of things. And last thing is on the side, I do stock market and crypto trading. And so I kind of watch macroeconomic data, maybe a little closer closer than most carpenter contractors do. So here's the thing. As you bring up this issue, I understand there's all this high cost, high demand, private equity, private investment issues going on. And Roger brings up all kinds of good points and has ideas for initiatives and regulations that I'd never even thought of. I really appreciate a lot of what he had to say, all of it, but especially a few things. My thing is over here, if you look at some of the housing macro data, you're seeing uh, lumber prices come down, even though the fuel to transport the lumber is still all kinds of high. You're seeing new housing starts take a dead stop. I mean, they went from record levels pre-pandemic to absolutely nothing last couple of months, which is crazy. Um, And as I look back over my chart, I only see a dead stop in new housing starts while the lumber prices come down simultaneously once before in the recent past. And that was 2007. So y'all remember what happened in 2008. 
and oh, yes. it, looks, it looks a lot the same. Here's the other big problem. What did they do in 2008 when all this shit hit the fan the way it's kind of lining up to do right now? Well, they lowered interest rates to damn near zero and they started quantitative easing and they propped up the market so that the economy wouldn't completely crash even while the housing market was totally crashing, right? There's still all kinds of market volatility. The market sold off like crazy in 08, but that it wasn't as bad as it could have been because they were able to slash their interest rates to zero and start buying up all kinds of bonds and assets, which they called quantitative easing. And that, you know, has continued until this day. And they're finally starting to unravel it the last couple of years. And that's why the market's down so hard. Um, because they're raising interest rates and they're unraveling that QE. And that is uh, driving a lot of the selling that propped up prices over the course of the recent, you know, decade long bull run. And so now you're looking at the same kind of housing problem that we had in 08 starting to line up, kind of looking like it did in 07 right now. And they can't raise interest rates because they were worried about inflation or they can't lower interest rates. They were worried about inflation going crazy when they lowered them before, but it didn't do it for some reason. That reason being all that money went flooding into the market and inflated the asset prices. Now you've got an inflation going on because the market bubble finally popped. The asset places are coming are, are coming down because they unraveled QE and traders are shorting and selling their positions. You, you, you've got inflation going crazy because all that money that was flooding into the market and propping up asset prices is now going into the, into the market and chasing after goods and services that aren't being produced in the real economy. And so what I'm looking at from where I sit, and I know this is an uncommon and weird perspective, which is one reason I wanted to call in when you, when you had this topic on your show, I'm looking at a similar kind of situation line up to what we had in OA and we don't have the same kind of tools available to us to remedy the issues in the same way that we did then. And it was pretty rough back then, as people remember, if you're old enough. I was just finishing college around that time. Um, man, I mean, people were people were hurting. And now, and I'll be honest, like, it wasn't as bad as it could have been because they were able to do QA, QE and slash the rates all the way down to zero. And they just can't do that anymore. And so when it lines up and things happen the way they did this time, and there's no tools available to soften the blow... It's going to be like 08, 09, but much worse. And I just, I, you know, I wonder whether these current issues with housing being too expensive are, you know, something we're going to look back on and kind of wish about the good old days in, in hindsight. Uh, I, I'll be real with you. It's an issue. You know, again, I work, I work in housing and I've been, I've been, you know, every, every good contractor I know has been slammed for two years but I'll be honest with you, when I see the, the new housing homestart, to bring this full circle, when I see the new homestart data go to zero, and I talk to my buddies that are builders, you know, everybody's doing apartment fix and flips, you know, cheap one bedroom, you know, studio apartment, you know, make readies. It's all temporary type stuff that we're working on, myself included. Um, and and no 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 mansions no McMansions no 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 new builds of any kind a couple of office remodels here and there you know um, 
but 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 it's 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 a it's a real concerning thing i i really wonder whether you know in a few years we're going to be looking at something a lot similar to 08 but much worse you know having having come down our pipeline and be wondering how you know we handled it and and you know how how we're going to pick up the pieces and move forward and i'm i'm honestly considering my own self like what are my options because i don't have kids or anything personally thankfully um you know i'm wondering whether if there's another like safer country I can go to while this all hits the fan. You know, I'm th- th- these are the kinds of things that I start to think about when I look at the macro data with the, with the perspective that I have. So I've been babbling. I'll let you kind of respond there and not take up more of your time, but uh, thought that perspective was maybe a little uncommon and, and worth, worth sharing with the, with the folks here. Yeah. I've actually been worrying about that too, that it might be worse than a wait. In fact, um, I still remember, uh, this was a couple of years ago. Um, do you guys know, uh, economist, um, Susie Orban, uh, Susie Orman, she's been on Oprah's show a couple of times. Like she's kind of like professor Wolf, except she gets, um, she's super, super famous to the, cause they, they bring her on corporate media and they won't bring professor Wolf on corporate media. She's, she said a couple of years ago, that, you know, yes, the economy is going to tank again. And then she said it will slowly pick itself back up. But she said, we haven't hit the big one yet. And she said that one is still coming. Well, you know, b- based on not having the tools available to respond the way we did before, I'm wondering whether this is it. But um, it's funny you mentioned Susie because yeah. uh, she was actually the first finance book I ever wrote. My mom got her book when I was about 12 years old. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i've seen her on like everybody's show like um yeah it's just i don't know man i don't th- i think this time around i think it's a little bit different this time around because in 08 we didn't have all of these companies or all these employees at all these companies going on strike too or people saying like no like we're going to unionize or nothing or people walking off the job um you know, I was one of those people that I was just like, yeah, I'm done. Bye. <laughs> so we didn't have as much of that either during during that time. So we have a combination of things that are going on. And at the same time, it's like the cost of living continues to increase. Uh, wages aren't going up the way that they're supposed to. I mean, I was looking at those numbers tonight and I was thinking to myself, well, geez, even if they the $15 minimum wage, if that did pass, that still wouldn't help the majority of the states in the country. I mean, it, it would be yeah, more no. income for you, obviously, but we are way behind where we should be. So this tells me like when Professor Wolf came on and told me, he said the minimum wage should be like 30 something. Now I see what he's talking about. Now I really see it, you know? Yeah, they say it would be somewhere in the low 30s if it if it had kept uh, pace with economic productivity, which I, I believe that 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 you know, given the given the cost of living expenses, especially where I am in Colorado, that that, that makes sense to me. Um, and it's and it's and it's crazy, which you know, it's still seven twenty five nationwide, and if we more than doubled it to fifteen, that leaves pretty much most everybody making that wage still still underwater, which is just crazy to think about. I mean, it's it's well here's it's Jimmy. Jimmy Dore says it's a failed state and I can't help but clap when he says it, you know, like here's something I found, I found out last night. Let me see if they tell me the same thing. Okay. Google. How much is the minimum wage in Georgia? 
$7.25 per hour. On the website doll.gov, they say, employers subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act must pay the current federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour. Okay. Yesterday, it told me it was $5.15 an hour. So I don't know what's going on with Google. But anyway, it's just if you, like that $7.25 an hour, that's nothing. Yeah, that's, especially for hard work, that's that's just brutal. Um, uh, given, given what it costs to put food in your mouth today. Anyway, Sabi, I think you got people on the chat. I'll, I'll sign off here, but it's really great talking to you. Thank you. I knew I only caught the last half hour, 45 of your show, but I, when you said you were going to call in after, I knew I had to roll myself a joint, and make some coffee for it. Cause this was one I had a lot of set, lot to say about. So thank you. I appreciate you taking time for this issue. It's a huge one for lots of working people out here. Appreciate you. Thanks so much, Tyler. All right. Elijah. You're on the mic. You just have to hit unmute. Hello. Hey. Hey. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting, I had heard Roger talking earlier about New York because I know he's in Long Island. I'm in Brooklyn right now, but it definitely is one of the things where I've seen with housing, like it does not make sense how much housing costs pretty much anywhere in the country. Like, even with development, it's something where I've been analyzing the state budget and the city budgets for the past few months. But one of the things that I think is interesting, at least in the city, is that in terms of what the appropriations were for HPD, which is supposed to be the agency in charge of affordable housing, they basically have been charging people, or not charging people, but they were given a billion dollars this year to create affordable housing. And they've done some work with affordable housing and things relating to it. But I think one of the fundamental issues that legislators miss is actually connecting housing prices to minimum wage. Because when it comes to raising minimum wage, I do believe minimum wage needs to be increased. But I think there does need to be a standard set in terms of what is considered a reasonable level of rent compared to income being received. And so for New York City, there is a standard that has been in place for a while, but it's very targeted. So have you ever heard of the HASA voucher before? I haven't. Is that like um, New York's version of rent control or no? No. So New York, the thing that's weird with New York's rent control is that they set it up to where for older buildings, there is some level of rent control. But HASA was a voucher that was specifically made around the time of the AIDS epidemic for people who were struggling with HIV and AIDS in terms of giving assistance towards affordable housing. And so the standard that they set in place, which still exists to this day, is that under that voucher, anyone who is eligible and is able to receive HASA vouchers would get 30% of their income as their paid amount for rent. And I think one thing, even if you're not in a ballot initiative state, is pushing legislators to actually amend the constitutions of your state to actually put clear and concise goals when it comes to affordable housing. I know with New York, one of the things that's somewhat frustrating is that in the constitution we have it to where there is a right to shelter which is why you have such a large shelter system across the state 
And then within the state, it's a lot of the shelter system is within the city. So you'll have people where they basically have to rely on Megabus to try and get to a shelter. And then even outside the shelters, most of the shelters are overbooked. And then people have to worry about things like the actual like curfews that they put in place. So if you're working full time, you might have it where if you work a night shift, you'd actually miss your curfew for the shelter system. But outside of that, it's something that's frustrating because in general, there's a level to where people talk about inflation with increasing rent prices, but there's no actual standard as to what should dictate affordable housing on a national level. And what's weird is that, at least where I live, I'm in an area that ended up having redistricting happen where the district I used to be a part of for the con for my Congress member has gotten changed. And it's kind of crazy because now I think de Blasio is running in my district as well as some other people. But what ends up being frustrating is right now what I've seen on the federal level is that there's some bills floating around basically saying that they want to move away from AMI, which is the standard they currently use. But it's something that doesn't actually help people. Because with AMI, the thing is that it's completely based on who lives near you. So if you live in an area where, let's say, most people are making $30 an hour somehow by standard, like they're making what is recommended for New York. If someone moves in and let's say they're a billionaire, the AMI would then be adjusted to how much the billionaire makes in relation to the total population. And so why that ends up being a terrible decision is that you have it where all of the people who live in a specific area, even with these AMI standards in place, is that all of the affordable housing that gets dictated by local agencies is usually at 60% of the AMI. So you'll have it where if you're in an area where the AMI is maybe $80,000, which is still an outrageous amount of money, even to, I know in the area where I go to school, even though most of the people who don't actually live there make anywhere near that amount of money, even people who are retired aren't having anywhere near those types of portfolios, the affordable housing that then gets put in place, especially for Brooklyn right now, is that affordable housing is dictated at maybe 2200 a month or 2500 a month. And when you consider that with minimum wage, it ends up being unreasonable. And it's one of the things where I think it's interesting to see where the city's actually going to go with minimum wage because people were talking about, or not people, but during the pandemic, you had people shaking pots and pans talking about essential workers. But if the essential workers aren't making enough, even in management positions, to afford rent for a one-bedroom, how is it that people can say that affordable housing exists? Right. And I, I think you brought up a really good point, too. Uh, we were talking about this on RBN earlier today, too, in reference to gentrification. It's really important that people understand just because a building is defined as affordable housing well affordable for who because there there seems to be there's no flat like rate for affordable housing so if you live in a neighborhood 
that let's say is a working class neighborhood and you live in a building that's identified by the city as affordable housing. And then all of a sudden, as we were talking about earlier today, the university near you wants to start buying up buildings. Uh, people start moving in, professionals move in there and gentrify the neighborhood. Well, now those people are willing to pay more rent and the landlords know that. So they'll charge them more and those people have a higher income. Then your rent goes up even though you're supposed to be in affordable housing and you were there before they came. So it's just the housing system. I think that we have in this country is just, it's, it's such a predatory system. Um, I think even though, you know, also like when you're renting, the fact that every state that I've lived in has said, you have to have three months worth rent up front. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, Some places have said you have to make three times uh, the rent amount in order to live in this apartment building. Like there's all these like stipulations just to get a place to live to begin with. And then let's say you finally do get into affordable housing. You know, there are wait lists for some of these things. And then just to get pushed out because professionals move in and now your rent has increased. It's there's no uh, I can tell you, at least here in the Boston area, there's no such thing as rent stabilization here. And we haven't had rent control since like the 90s. So the landlords can charge whatever they want. They weren't supposed to increase the rent during the pandemic in the Boston area, but some landlords were still doing it. And it's just, there's no accountability, you know, but you're right. They really need to define what affordable housing really is in reference to what is considered affordable and for who. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that ends up being, that ends up frustrating me even with the federal poverty line standard. Because when you actually look at what the Fed defines as considered of what they'd consider to be poverty, The federal poverty line is something where if someone is making minimum wage in pretty much any part of the country for the entire year, they're not actually eligible to to actually get any of the benefits associated with uh, being considered under the poverty line, which is insane because you'll have people like I know with New York, for example, if you're in NYCHA and you aren't necessarily eligible for any of the federal programs, the amount for a studio apartment is 1200 a month, which considering the actual like recommendations for fair market rent, most people aren't even eligible to try and apply into the NYCHA system. And between the mayor's plans of trying to move NYCHA into a more privatized system, which blows my mind because it doesn't help anyone between the people who actually live in NYCHA and then even with the developments that get brought up in the area. I know what's weird with where I live is that there's three developments that are currently going up within the block that I live. And so one of which is almost like a sense of irony because it used to be the unemployment office for Brooklyn. And so the former unemployment office for Brooklyn is getting turned into a mixed use building. That's a mix of commercial land and there's claiming affordable housing, but it is something that's going to be considered affordable housing based on the AMI. And so rents are looking at somewhere between maybe 2,500 and 3,000 a month, 
which means that you'd have to be making, even if you're spending half of your income, it'd be $60,000 to spend half your income to afford these studio or one bedroom apartments. And so I just Googled the, the federal poverty line standards again. And so according to the federal government, if you're making $21,000 a year, which would be somewhere around the amount of minimum wage if you're in a $15 an hour state. They're expecting that you'd be able to raise a family of three off just that income alone. So it'd be if one person was making $21,000 a year, they're saying that's the standard that you'd be able to raise a family of three at that level. That's insane. Yeah. And it gets even crazier because the amount for a family of eight is $44,660 a month. So they're saying if you are, if you're someone that might be considered in the quote unquote middle class that they keep saying is shrinking, you'd be able to raise a family of eight on $44,000 a month. And I honestly don't even get how the how Congress considers this as something that should be a reasonable amount of money, because uh, if they buy milk or any ingredients, they're buying anything. You even go to a fast food place, you go to KFC, a meal might be if you're not getting sides, a meal is looking at six dollars with tax. And so it ends up being something where the standards we have in place don't make sense for the majority of people. And then even with the adjustments for Hawaii and Alaska, if you're in Hawaii where they do have some of the raised standards, they're still saying a family of three should be able to survive on $25,000 a year full income. They say $25,260 as the annual income to be above the poverty line. So. What ends up being frustrating with a lot of these laws is I think on a statewide level, a lot of it would go into the state constitution because you have a lot of legislators who are now bringing up the slogan, housing is a human right, but they aren't actually codifying that into law. So if you're in a ballot initiative state, I'd say the first thing that I'd probably recommend is trying to see a ballot initiative for amending the constitution of your state in terms of housing rules to actually either codifying housing as a human right or specifically, if you could, getting housing to be tied directly to the minimum wage. Because the thing that ends up happening a lot of the time is that if housing isn't tied to the minimum wage and people want to argue that minimum wage is enough to have a, if people want to say minimum wage is a living wage, you would actually have to tie that to the cost of housing. And even when it comes to a lot of other issues, people think of a lot of the issues that we face. And it's something that ends up frustrating me with some of the more liberal people that I know, because in terms of issues of LGBT rights, trans rights, a lot of the people that you end up seeing who get disproportionately hurt by these issues of housing are people from the same communities that you have people claiming to want to help. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to fix some of those issues, even with homelessness, that you have it where people can see drug addiction on any level. And so people will talk about drug addiction with homeless populations. But housing has been seen as one of the easiest ways to try and help people through certain issues. And so between supportive housing, which is often underfunded, 
you have affordable housing, which is things that don't really exist. Like affordable housing at this point is something that doesn't make sense. But it's something that I think is a major issue, especially for younger populations, because I know I'm definitely on the younger side of things since I, I'm 21. I ended up living. I remember 2008 because I was growing up around when things were happening. And then that kind of shaped where I am now. But especially with the pandemic and seeing the fact that the Fed's response to inflation is to increase the interest rates, you're basically screwing over the majority of people who are trying to either find housing at this point based on raising those interest rates. So what could have been a house where, let's say, you're trying to get a mortgage for 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 a $300,000 house, you're seeing those interest rates raised to where you might end up spending a ton more than you were originally expecting because the interest rates are just higher now. And so when it comes to actually codifying those things, like, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's one of those things where I kind of just get frustrated every day because I'm just like, there's so many legislators and I've been interning with a legislator that's considered to be one of the most progressive in the state. And it ends up being a frustrating thing because when it comes to most of the standards of living, there's not really a standard that's actually set in place as a baseline. And especially in the coming months, like things need to change. And I think a lot of it comes to just an inaction of just Congress and general legislators. But it's something where I'd say at the bare minimum, most offices have some sort of constituent relationship management systems. And even those systems are terribly outdated and something where they don't actually work that effectively. But if there was a large enough constituent concern and part of it comes to the community board nonsense where depending on your locality, it can be easier or harder to join those community boards With Brooklyn, anything is based on what the borough president decides. So if you're Mm -hmm. not someone that's on the borough president's radar, most likely you're not going to be able to even join a lot of these places. And then a lot of real estate interests have actually joined those community boards so that they can make sure that they can seal their profits in place. But it is something where a lot of people definitely have to push for affordable housing. and I think the challenge really would be what's the best strategy in terms of how to do it, because direct action is definitely, in my opinion, the best strategy. But in terms of direct action and organizing on the micro level, it'd be would you want to organize tenant associations is the best chance to try and look through outreach and other means and how is it that we actually start building movements around affordable housing, especially as we see that now that a lot of pandemic restrictions have been released and even with some of the newer health con- health problems that are on the rise with like monkeypox, most of the reaction has been similar to some of the HIV policy of the 80s. It's how do you get people to realize that the government is not it's not even just not looking out for your best interests but the plan of most of the people who are either speculating on housing or even the people who are in the legislature codifying laws are assuming that the housing market should go back to the rates before the pandemic 
even in an age where unemployment's at an all-time high. Well said, Elijah. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm, I'm going to go over to Eric, but excellent points there. Um, really quick before I bring Eric on, I was just thinking about something, uh, listening to what Elijah was saying. And I was thinking about the generations and my parents are boomers and FYI, my parents know I call them boomers. They're cool. They're cool with this. Um, but my parents are boomers and I am realizing that when I look at my former students, they were Gen Z. I'm millennial. Parents are boomers. My students are probably the last generation, at least for now, coming through college that are probably coming from parents that were living during a time or were well off during a time where only one person in the household had to work. And I say that because. Coming from boomer parents, my mom didn't have to work. She did work, but she didn't have to. She stayed home with me until I went to um, until I went to kindergarten. She did the same thing when she had my sister. She could do that because back then, a lot of us, a lot of our families were able to make it off of just one income, even with kids. Then I see my generation and friends of mine that do have kids. Both uh, spouses have to work, all of them, all of them. I mean, I don't have kids and I still have to work. You know what I mean? So it's like both of them have to work. So that being said, the students that I had that were in their early 20s, the Gen Z students, I believe they might be the last generation coming through college where they may be coming from families where only one person had to work. And so that the question that I have is what happens to the generation, the, the babies that are being born now? What's going to happen to to those that group of people? And I'm going to go ahead and bring in Eric, because, again, things just keep getting more and more expensive. And. I'm already seeing what, you know, what's happened with my generation and I'm seeing the Gen Z kids, the ones graduating from college as well. They're struggling right now financially, too. So that's what I'm saying. What happens to the generation that comes after them? Uh, Eric, I'm going to go ahead and make you the next caller. You just have to unmute. Hey. Um, actually, I'll just answer that as a, as a teacher myself now um, with some of these kids coming up. Um, shit, they're just going to get priced out of everything. And they're not going to be as well as, as well equipped as a lot of us that came before them. And this is going to progressively get worse even beyond them. What are your in society? Yeah, like that's that's what I'm wondering. Like because it's not things aren't you know improving economically. Like it's getting harder for each generation that's coming after all of us. It's getting more and more difficult. Yeah, I. it's funny because I tried telling my high schoolers the same thing. I'm like, uh, y'all, this is the world y'all about to walk into. Yes, yes, I'm that math teacher that shows them Richard Wolf videos. Yes, 
Look, he's not making this up. You all are walking into this shit. Like, I don't know how much more real you want me to get. And also, you have to remember, some of y'all are black in the South. And you're speaking over Florida, like, $10 an hour, and you'd have to work 86 hours a week. And let's just assume we're talking Monday through Friday. 86 out of 120 hours you're working? Um, that's not going to physically happen. That's around 71 to 72% of your time in a five-day work week. That's not going to freaking happen. That's an abuse of human rights, if anything. I mean, I wish, like, honestly, Eric, I wish I could show that website. I wish I could go on, like, a K-12 through tour and go to every classroom and show everybody that, that website. Like, look, <laughs> I, I believe let I, me tell you what you're getting ready to walk into, okay? Well, yeah, and I appreciate you providing this site because you damn right I'm going to show this as soon as the school year starts. Welcome to my class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like these are the kind of things that I feel like we should be talking about, right? Like, I wish, like, my teachers would have talked to us about this kind of stuff, like, when I was in high school or, hell, even in undergrad. Like, you shouldn't have to take an econ class to learn about the cost of living in this country. Like, I feel like these are the things that we do need to teach students, right? But this is this is crazy. Like, the fact that you need to make – I was really shocked with Florida. I was shocked and, like, I knew I wanted to click on that one because Nico – posted on Twitter earlier today that his landlord increased his rent $400. And I was like, in Florida? No, I'm in Sabi, I'm not. Like, living here all my life, I'm not. What, ours is some of the highest in the nation? I think, like, our our our, our shit is higher than the, national average, than the national average itself. It's just like... <sighs> Because you got DeSantis fighting, like, engaging this culture war bullshit. Uh, these teachers are teaching uh, critical race theory and all that. It's like, we got real shit to do, to do here. Like, what, what the hell? People are more focused on CRT and things like that instead of the fact that, hey... Uh, new generation here. You may not be able to be able to like afford housing by the time you're an adult. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I had to. I had to bring up the um, IPCC report, especially for Florida. That's crazy. Like, explain to me, Eric. Like, how are people still affording to retire in Florida? Because when I'm looking at no, no. When clues, I was looking no at clue, no clue. They're on a they're on a fixed income. Yeah, I have no idea how people are doing this. I'm like, are, do you do you have like a, a secret like OnlyFans account? I mean, what what are you really doing? <laughs> like, what what are you doing to afford this? And, and and yeah, it's just you know we can't because you know Florida we can't. Technically, we can't really do a universal rent control. <laughs> Technically, um, it's just our state's such a fucking joke. <laughs> I know JB's 
JB's feeling the pain with me. God damn it. Yeah. Because they increased his rent too. And like, I'm sitting here wondering again, like I'm saying the boomer generation, they're probably the last generation where it wasn't uncommon for someone to say, yeah, I have two homes, the house that we live in. And then we have like a cabin in the mountains or we have like a, a little beach house or a little apartment at the beach or we have a timeshare or we have, I don't know anybody has that shit today. Exactly. <laughs> Except for like my parents' friends. I'm on teacher money. I'm never gonna have that shit. <laughs> on teacher money? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a lot of what I like to call broke bitch money. So <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. another thing too. You know, maybe there should be like when we were looking at those professions and and all of that. Like, number one, teachers need to get paid more. They're underpaid in this country. And if you look at what teachers are making, and like this is why some um, American teachers will move to South Please. Korea and teach yeah. over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've I've heard about some of this. I'm like, bro, you gotta try this. I'm like, like, damn. <laughs> like, people actually value education somewhere. Well, but then there's the conversation. At least here in America, you need to separate schooling from education. There's a huge difference. It, yeah, but other places actually have their priorities straight. Yeah, you can go to school, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting an education. Right. It's... I walked in on a classroom one time when I was doing off my um people in nursing call these clinicals, but in education, like we called them observations, uh, period. And I had to go to different schools. Every month was a different school. So I had to go to like a different school and observe the classroom environment. And I went to one school, I'll never forget this, and I went into, it was like a third grade class, and I had to observe this teacher, I'm not going to say her name on here, you know, never put people on blast, but she like literally was not teaching. Like she was not teaching at all. Like I walked in and I'm like, what is this? There's kids on iPhones and watching movies on their phone, and she was not teaching at all. She literally was just sitting at her desk reading and i'm like are they supposed to be doing homework like what is this what is happening she's just like oh well there's no getting through to them so it's not worth it i'm like so they just come in here and you don't teach honestly here's the thing though too it does feel like that and for example like even when my when my apc um for those who don't know that's assistant principal curriculum um, was observing me, you know, and, and nobody questions them. Oh, nobody questions of great teachers. Yeah, because you damn well know I teach. Just half of you hard-headed motherfuckers don't pay attention. And I'm teaching, and then, and then, yeah, like you said, same shit happens. Except they can't have their phones. They just have they're just on their on their Chromebooks, whatever. And and so. APC says something to me after the evaluation, and I just look at it like, okay, they already know the standard, so when they get their grade, it's not a surprise. It's not that I don't care, I just, there's X amount of them and only me. And plus, when I'm doing the stuff on the board, I have my back turned. So you expect me to pay attention to them and have my back, while I have my back turned? Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, 
this classroom management shit, y'all gonna get so many teachers like flipped over man out of the classroom management. It's like, um, bro, they're a different breed of students than we were. Yeah, it's very different, especially with all the electronic devices too. It's hard, you know. It's hard to keep their attention. <laughs> I would yeah. say it's hard to keep their attention. Yeah, and outside of all like teenage drama and like, uh, of course, they're, they're teenagers, especially especially my younger men. They talk about body counts and stuff and all that. It's like, I'm like, first of all, y'all will get to a point of being too old to do that shit anymore. Because then after a while, you'll get tired of hearing each other do that shit. And at least, at least some of them give me hope. Like, like at least I learned shit in your class. Fast, some of them be like, like I, I actually learned real shit in your class at least. So that that's something. But yeah, I damn sure not receiving a proper wage in this goddamn state. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It, Thank it, you so. Oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, one more thing. I'll, I'll I'll shut up after this. I swear. Um, I would go further than just saying paying teachers more. There needs to be an actual ecosystem built that produces teachers that produces educators and actually properly defines what it means to be educated. So that's also something else too. So that's a good point, Eric. Uh, that's a good point. I agree with you there. Cause not everybody that goes to school to be a teacher can actually teach or is actually good at teaching. That's the thing you don't know until they get in the classroom. <laughs> Had to learn that the hard way myself the first time. <sighs> All right, Eric. All right, thank you so much for calling. I'm going to go to the next caller, right. which is Brady. All right, Brady, you're on Hello. the mic. Aloha, Sabby. Thanks for being such a consistent place to go for solutions. Like, always so solutions-based. I appreciate that. And I came up with the idea randomly out of my butt today listening to the show that we do like a rent boycott. I don't even know if that's possible. It's just a random idea I had. Um, But there was another person, a Democratic Socialist congressional candidate, Rebecca Parson. I don't know if you remember Rebecca Parson, but um, I'll drop a link to her Twitter in the comments. And it was her idea. Actually, she herself uh, when facing the housing crisis, started breaking into vacant houses and just started living there. And um, she has a really cool <clears throat> video about it in her campaign ad. So I'm dropping that for you guys in the comments right now. There you go. And I don't know if you're familiar with her, but you now would be a fantastic time to interview her. I don't not even, I don't even know if she, I don't even know if she won or not. Um, how she's doing, but I haven't heard from her ever since I saw this uh, Twitter video and it would just be so cool to reach out to her and talk to her right now. I think that's a brilliant solution to the problem. And another solution that I came up with after thinking a little longer would be to reach out to people that do have houses already. There are so many elderly people all over America with giant houses with like three vacant rooms in them. You know, Um, I think we need to, the young people, need to reach out to the elderly people and like, let's make a deal. You know, we can help you do some things around the house, get some things done for you. 
it would be more difficult for them and more easy for us young people. And we can get some cheap rent in return. Um, also, you know, just like restructuring a garage into a living space, I think would be another potential solution for people. I know a lot of people here in Texas who do that. It's hot down here in Texas, but these garage rooms are not bad. You know, you can slap a window unit in through the wall or a uh, number of ways to do it. Put some better insulation on, but these are just a few ideas I've come up with. And I wonder what you guys think. And if you're familiar with Rebecca Parsons, I know you might be taking a break, so I'm going to, I'm going to take over the dead yeah. air for you. I'm just, oh, okay. There you go. You're back. All right. I, think I was going to read the article for you. Is Rebecca in Washington state? Uh, let me see. Um, yes, she is Washington democratic congressional candidate. Yes. Okay. I think we might follow each other. Um, I, yes. I think I know who you're talking about. Um, I could reach out to her. Uh, usually those, uh, some of the candidates and stuff won't come on cause they know I'm against the two party system, but, um, um, I could reach out to her. Yeah. She's democratic socialist. So she'd be more friendly for sure. And, um, yeah, it'd be a great time to talk to her. I'd love to hear. I'm sure she's full of ideas by now and solutions, um, after what, like a year of seeing that video or so. So it'd be great to hear what she has to say. And I think the idea in reference to the garage rooms and stuff like that is that's also really interesting. Um, have you seen, there's a movie on Netflix. I don't know if everyone's seen this yet, but it's called sorry not to bother you. Um, but it's a really good movie. It's the theme of it is capitalism and how bad capitalism can be. Um, but in the beginning, I don't want to give the movie away, but in the beginning, uh, the lead character and his girlfriend, that's where they live. They are living in a garage room, uh, in, I believe that's his dad's house. I have to go back and check, but I think it was like his dad's house or whatever, but you're right. There are a lot of people like older people with these big houses living by themselves with several rooms. And you're right. Like if we help them, who knows? That would also be a really good way to reach across the political aisle. Cause I think there's more, more than the left right divide. It's almost like we have a young old divide going on as well a bit. You know, you mentioned boomers earlier <laughs> being a derogatory term. Um, it'd be nice if we can transform boomers into more of an endearing term. You know, if we can, um, reach out to those boomers and say, Hey guys, you know, we'd like to welcome y'all to the party. You know, <laughs> like, um, and they could use our help right now. I know for sure. Um, I know just having a young person around is like inspiring to a lot of these elders. They just love the youthful energy, you know, and I don't understand how they could allow us to just go hungry and homeless while they're living in these giant houses, like with three extra rooms, just sitting, they got rooms for their dogs, you know, it's crazy. Yes, it is. Um, I do know that um hold on one second like a dog doesn't pay any rent <laughs> and a dog <clears throat> doesn't no. do anything you know like <laughs> i mean i just, i also it, know too cool. like when i worked at uh, a skilled nursing facility facility most of the patients there were elderly patients and you'd be surprised how many of <laughs> those patients their children don't even come to see them. I'm talking people who have been there for years and like their children wouldn't even come to see them or anything. Like they, they're just, 
they're happy to have just someone to talk to because their own family members just don't pretend like they exist anymore. And yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that, that's a good idea is like bridging that divide and bridging that gap between people who are older and people who are younger and learning from each other. I mean, you can learn a lot from older people, a lot, a lot. And I, I mean, some some people need some help. Like like I said, like the number of patients that I saw where like the kid would only come by and by kid, I mean, their kids are adults, but they would only come by and visit their parent. Like if it was, there was money involved, you know, it was just like, you only come by here to pay your mom's bill and then you don't even say hi to them and then just leave. It's just, I don't understand how people can be that way to their own, your own parents, but you'd be surprised. It's a lot of like people, they get older and people forget about them and don't want to be bothered with them and all that stuff. And that's really sad. But I think like if some of the younger people were to like, maybe through an organization, get together some type of organization and ask them, hey, do you need work done around the house? Again, this is a form of mutual aid. Let's help each other. You know, like, (laughs) yeah. And that would keep them out of nursing homes and retirement homes. Um, you know, it could potentially um, help a lot of families save a lot of money. Because, you know, there's a lot of kids paying. The retirement homes are expensive. And I'm going to tell you, the food in the retirement homes is not good. Uh, my grandma is always complaining about the food in her retirement home. And I'm about to go over there tomorrow and put on a karaoke show for her. <laughs> you reminded me that uh, I'm going to go do karaoke for them at some point. And, yeah, uh, the food is gross. <laughs> she's been in the nicest retirement homes here in Texas and she's had the nicest rooms. She's had, you know, the nicest ones we can find. And she's always complained about the food and it, it, the stories she tells me just bother me, you know, the way that uh, these people, old people and young people both alike, <laughs> the way we treat children and old people is like cattle. It's, it's embarrassing. Um, and I think if we, yeah, we, we do good to treat them all with a lot more respect and they would do good to, to kind of share some of those extra rooms with us. I think this is a good solution. I'm on it. I'm going to pass the mic, but I'm, I'm going to start working on this solution. That's such a good idea, Brady. Thank you so much for calling in. And don't forget Rebecca Parson. Rebecca Parson. I'll check it out. I, I think she, I think we follow each other. I'll have to double check. Excellent. I'm going to drop her, uh, uh, Twitter right now in the comments one more time. Thank you. All right. Um, CB, you are now on the mic. Just have to hit the unmute button. I think I could. Let me see. I invited you to speak just in case the unmute doesn't work. Sometimes this app can be a little tricky. Although they have made some improvements. I have been noticing that. All right, CB, I'll I'll circle back. Uh, Let me go ahead and go to Simon. All right, Simon, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello? Hello. I can. Oh, good. Uh, hey, Savvy. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, greetings from the uh, socialist paradise in a faraway land, exotic place called Canada, actually. 
<laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's been a interesting talk. Like listening to the other callers and give me some time to think. Um. Like I know Canada's like a different country, but in a lot of ways, it's pretty much the same as America. I see a lot of same problems. And you'll forgive me, but I really get annoyed when people on the right and the left character Canada from different angles of it. I that really actually pisses me off. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. What? I just mute my while you're talking. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I'll yeah. just keep going then. Thanks. Yeah, like, um, during, like, the Obama care years or whatever, they would all, they, they, I mean, we're talking about housing, but I'm just going to go on tangent here, if that's okay. Like, during the years of um, the Obama care years, like, I'm in my 30s, so I remember that, like, vividly because I'm of that age where I'm more aware politically. So what I was hearing was, oh, look at Canada. It's great. It's like everyone gets Medicare and like that's not the reality. Like it's great to have Medicare for all, but you got to cover everything. I don't get drugs for free. I don't get dental for free. I don't get glasses for free, optical care. And the only reason I'm bringing that old debate up is just to frame it as like the, the difference, like in the, the image of Canada and versus the reality. Like for some reason, people like to bring Trudeau as this like great uh, leftist hero from both sides. One, the right wants to villainize him as a socialist dictator and the left want at least the neoliberal left would want to paint him as this, like, hero of the left, and it really does annoy me. And, um, yeah, but uh, in terms of just bringing it all back, circling back to um, housing, it's, um, sorry, I'm just nervous. There's no, there's no, nothing to interact with, so I'm just not used to just rambling on air. <laughs> oh, no worries. Don't be nervous around here. We're all fam in this room. Listen, real quick about the, the healthcare thing. Um, I knew that dental and eyeglasses uh, weren't included, but I think that's what Bernie Sanders had. Uh, when Bernie was running, I believe Bernie was saying that, that like he, that was something he wanted to include uh, to make it, to make it better. But, um, yes, but, but you do have health insurance though, right? Yes, uh, on paper, I would say yes, but anyone in Canada ha has ever been in an emergency room would say it's not really universal when you have to wait nine hours to get care when it's a real emergency. I've seen that happen. I've been in the hospital. But I'm oh, not dear. trying to criticize it, but like the, the, the ideology of Medicare for all, but it does like, I don't like sure. People advocate for Medicare have all good intentions, but at the same time, it seems they want to like just cope with the fact that there aren't problematic issues with healthcare. The only reason I'm talking about this is because it goes back to the framing of Canada in terms of like left right ideology, which I will say seems to be more of an issue in the States than here. Mm. 
We yeah. don't really have a just FYI. We don't have a true left in the United States. Oh, we I have know. a Democratic. Yeah, we have a Democratic Party, but they're liberal, and some of them aren't even liberal. Yeah, I, I watch Breaking Points. I've seen a few of their videos, and I've seen um, Rising with uh, Brianna Joy Gray talk about that. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of housing, it's really unaffordable here in Toronto or what we call the GTA really because no one who's a real like working class person could ever afford to live in actual Toronto. We live around the suburbs. Um like just think of like the outer boroughs as like New Jersey to New York City. That's kind of deal. Okay. So but it's very like diverse the surrounding neighborhoods. So um where I grew up in Scarborough, it was mostly uh, Chinese, Filipino, and Caribbean folks uh, in the south. No, sorry, um, like Chinese, Filipinos in the north, and Caribbeans to the south. And yeah, it's just not good. Like the housing situation, you're if you you have to be really, really poor to afford to be even qualify for any type of housing, which I assume would be the same around any major city in the United States. Yeah, I, I've been to Toronto uh, once. I did notice, I was like, wow. Toronto. I actually, I noticed it with the housing um, in Toronto because I used to watch HDTV a lot. Like back when I had cable, I used to watch it all the time. And uh, there was funny. this one show where they was focused on only on uh, Canada. And a lot of times, like, they would be in Toronto or Vancouver. Um, and I noticed, like, the housing prices in Toronto. I was like, holy shit. I was like, I'm better off staying here in reference to housing prices. It's very expensive. Yeah, it is. It's, um, in my opinion, like, uh, a mix of uh, neoliberal banking policies that were enacted by both parties in Canada. Although we technically have free parties, but not really, if you understand a little bit of what Canadian politics is about, like in terms of political capital. Do we have like a liberal party, which is somewhat like the Democrats and a conservative party, obviously like the Republicans. And then we have uh, supposedly a socialist NDP, which doesn't really do anything. Actually, I don't find them a serious party at this point. They seem to be uh, this is going to be cringe, but just focus on wokeness. The leader took it in a different direction and couldn't find policies that could attract new photos. So decide to uh, just hold on to whatever base he could. So he's basically effectively a lame duck. So um, that's kind of the problem, but I don't think anyone really cares about Canadian politics in this room. <laughs> well, we've talked about um, Justin Trudeau uh, when the trucker protests were happening in Canada we talked about that, like, on my show. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was one of those people. I was kind of fooled by Justin Trudeau, like, about two years ago. Like, I thought, like, wow, this guy's doing, like, great things there. This guy's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, why can't we have someone like that? And I remember me and my friends, we were just like, yeah, Justin Trudeau's pretty cute. He's pretty handsome. And then... I started to find out things about Justin Trudeau, about like him wearing blackface and and his his uh, when the trucker protests happened, whether you agree with what the truckers did or not, 
my whole thing was, is like for him to just basically try to freeze people's bank accounts. I was like, oh, hell no. This guy isn't cute anymore. He lost all cute cred. He's an ass. So I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been supportive of Justin Trudeau um, because I, I started to see like how he really is. But a quick question for you. Why do you think people or do a lot of people in Canada support him? Or do you think that he gets most of his support from corporate interests? I'm curious. Uh, in terms of like base voters and everyday people I talk to, like right now I live in an area where it's to be real um, upper middle class white. They, some half are conservative, half are liberal. The only reason the liberals people, I mean, support Trudeau anymore is because they're holdovers from the Harper years, the old prime minister that was conservative. So he's like the boogeyman. So Trudeau can always pull the card of, oh, do you want the Harper years back with this new conservative leader? So, so he's done that two elections in a row where he tried to paint the, uh, old, the new leader of conservatives as like just Harper 2.0. So that's actually very effective. Oh, sorry. My alarm's going off. I got, I got to turn off. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. Yeah, so uh, that's my opinion on it. But uh, bring it back to housing. Like, one of the reasons that the housing market is so, like, unaffordable, it seems, is uh, both on the rental side and on the ownership side for everyday people is that uh, just a lot of financialization, which is, I don't know if it's a shock to your listeners, but even up in Canada, there's a lot of financialization of the housing market in terms of government policies as well as uh, on the government side, they uh, allow people to dip into their own uh, retirement savings to come up with the principal payments. I'm not sure to say that, but I know my brother did that to buy his condo. So part of that, and it was spin politically as we are trying to help people get the middle-class dream. So, I guess what I'm trying to get at with theme is it's all about messaging in terms of how Americans see Canada, both on the Republican and Democrat side or left, right, whatever, as well as uh, just policies that whatever party interacts, uh, enacts them, whatever government enacts them, they will always message something as helping the people. And that's usually when you should run, I find. When they message they are trying to help people, it usually hurts them. Mm, that's a good point. Okay, thank you for good your time. Point. Just, um, just uh, let someone else talk for a thing. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Thank you, Simon. Thanks so much for that perspective. I always appreciate hearing from international like viewers because, you know, it's true. We have one idea of what it's like in their country, but... They do actually live there, you know. It's always good to hear that perspective. All right, Ashura, you are the next caller. Just have to unmute. Just have to hit that unmute button. Let me see if I can uh, make you a speaker instead. I don't know. Maybe Ashura got sleepy. All right, Ashura. Well, I sent you an invite to speak um, if you want to pop back in. But uh, 
Brady, I'm going to go ahead and make you the next caller. You just have to unmute. What's up, Savvy? I'm going to make it real quick. Just wanted to add one more idea I just came up with, and that is finding a way for roommates to rent to own property, houses, land. Do you think that might be a helpful solution? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So a friend of mine mentioned this a couple years ago. She actually suggested, I mean, she came up with this great idea, but then she, you know, had twins. So that changed everything. But anyway, she came up with this idea. She said, why don't all of us just move to a town where there's not that many people and we can buy, like, get this cheap ass big house and all of us rent there. And then to the point where we can eventually, we just buy, we just buy the house. And then all of us would own the property and own the land. So regardless, you know, if someone left or whatever, they would still own a piece of the property. She said, why don't all of us just do that one day? All of us just go get this big ass house out in the middle of nowhere where nobody really wants to live. And then that way we can have all these things. And she recommended that. And then she got pregnant and that was the end of that. I mean, I don't know if I actually would have moved, um, necessarily for sure anyway because there was the other factor of moving to a place where there's hardly nobody there's also usually not many jobs so there would have been that factor as well but uh yeah i mean i thought that was a good idea we just lost the caller i'm gonna dip out and make some room for the other callers but i just wanted to add that this reminds me of my intuition is just leading me to let people know we need to get away from the cities we have we're in the age of the internet now and it's time for us to kind of slowly move away from the cities and there's so much land right on the outside of these cities and then we can go and kind of restructure the politics of the midwest where there's nobody no lefties you know um just an idea i'm gonna pass the mic <laughs> awesome thank you so much for that brady all right we have a another caller this is kamaria you just have to hit the unmute can I be heard? I can hear you. Okay, great. I just wanted to add on to what the previous caller was saying. Um, there's actually tenants unions who work on that right now, like um, trying to get everyone that has been like displaced into one unit so that it's a lot easier to organize because it's a lot harder to like organize in an apartment complex if some people are not, you know, like feel a little bit weary or scared of the landlord, etc. And so we've noticed that it's a lot easier if you kind of infiltrate a building um, and it's a lot easier to like organize and work on like maintenance and things like that collectively. So that's things that are kind of happening under the radar that I just wanted to bring up because it reminded me of what the previous caller said. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, I didn't realize that. And I, I do know... Um, the organization I had on earlier today on RBN, they're called the United Front Against Displacement. So they have a chapter in New York City, Boston, and San Francisco. And um, they are, you know, really bringing a lot of these issues to the light. Like they told me about um, Columbia University in New York City buying up property in Harlem, residential public housing buildings, and those people are getting pushed out of, of their own homes. It's it's really sad. It's been a problem for a while, but I feel like it's getting worse. Yeah, I, um, I've experienced that too. So I, well, I used to live in South Central and USC is right there. 
So there's an apartment complex that um it's like a row. It's a it's called the Flower District. It's actually they're actually a tenants union. And there's a lot of older, it's mostly like older Latino and black people that have been living there for like renting for like 40 years or something. And the landlord owns a lot of those buildings and is trying to get them out to make student housing because like USC, the tuition is like super expensive and it's a lot of rich people that go there. And they've actually managed to set up a tenants union it's really cool to see because it's run by a lot of like older women and they're super radicalized and they've actually been able to um like stave off of being evicted and they have one of the things that they do is um when the landlord so the landlord it does these uh, cash for keys where he tries to pay people like maybe like oh i'll give you 30k if you leave this apartment because they've lived there for so long and it's such a like you know, um, an area that a lot of people want to live in, a lot of which gentrifiers want to live in. And for a lot of people, that looks good. But if you're like 50 or close to retirement, and you're, that money is only going to last you so far if you're trying to still live in L.A. So they've been trying really hard to like keep people in their housing. And something that they do is whenever someone leaves and they try to get um, the landlord tries to show the apartments, everyone will message each other and they'll like post posters on the wall, like or in their on the windows so that the people who are looking at the apartment will see. And it'll say like this landlord doesn't do maintenance. This landlord like, you know, harasses its tenants and things like that. And it's really cool to see like the power of the collective because it's a lot harder to do something like that alone versus like when you have a lot of people. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's great to hear about that. I would, I would definitely think like, you know, more organizations that we have that are doing these things, I think is going to be really helpful to people. And I think when we look at the housing issue, this is another example that we can point to and say, how is electoral politics actually helping I know in in Boston, for example, Mayor Wu, our elected mayor, she's actually made the housing issue worse. So, you know, selling these buildings to developers and investors so that you could just, you know, make a profit off of it and displacing people and kicking people out of their buildings is ridiculous. I'm actually going to meet with um, a residents uh, Sunday to go meet with a couple of residents there here in Boston. Um, they are dealing with a lot of issues in that building based on the pictures that I have seen. I don't think that building is even structurally sound. Um, so the infrastructure is really bad and nobody's doing anything to resolve these problems because I think they're trying to force them out. I really do think that's what's happening. Like they're trying to let the building go to shit so that the people, you know, just want to leave to get out of the mess, but buildings still need to be up to code. And there's a way around this, you guys, that I don't know if everyone's aware of. <clears throat> if you find yourself in the situation or someone you know is in this situation, the question I ask, and I'm going to ask them this in person as well, did you contact the fire department and ask them if they have done a fire inspection on this building? Now, I don't know the rules in every city, but I know in Boston, it's mandatory that your, your residence building, apartment building, if it's owned by a private landlord, whatever, they're supposed to do a fire inspection every year. Uh, 
I've had it done in apartments that I've lived in as well. The landlord will drop a note, let you know the fire inspectors coming by, make sure you have things out of the way so they can do what they need to do. Um, the reason why you call the fire department and ask them about a fire inspection is because if you can't get the property on them not doing these repairs that need to be done, not fixing black mold issues, things like that, nine times out of 10, if they have those issues, they may have faulty wiring, they may have some fire inspection issues. So if you can't get them on that, you can probably get them on the fire inspection issue and that they have to fix because otherwise they have to either shut the facility down or they have to replace the landlord. That's how it works in Boston. I don't know if it's like that in every city, but that's something that everybody should have in their back pocket that you pull out that fire inspection card because that can affect not just that property, but surrounding properties as well. Um, but thank you so much uh, for calling in Kamaria. And I'm going to take a uh, Roger. You're going to be the last caller. And here we go. So you're on the mic. All right, can you hear me? Yep. All right. Um. So, yeah. Something I forgot to um mention. Uh, you know, you can on the website, you can download uh previous years reports. So this way, you can see the pattern at which they went up. You see what I'm saying? Oh, so, okay. You see what I'm saying? You just have to just go back to the website and it'll say previous year's report. And, you know, like, the, 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 I mean, they. I, I just looked at it briefly. They only showed last year, but I'm but I'm pretty sure somewhere on the website. It'll probably have maybe an archives button. So this way you can go, you know, I don't know. I don't know when they started producing the report. Maybe you could go back 10 years or something like that and look at the pattern. And I'll check helps. that out. Oh, everybody should check it out. You know, um, but yeah, just that. And when you when you come to, and, and this is just something uh, when you when you're coming to uh, the Hamptons, uh, you might want to, if you want to, you might want to take the ferry from Connecticut instead of driving all the way west and then coming all the way east. They allow cars on the ferries. I don't know if you knew uh, that. Yeah, I don't even feel like it. I just, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like doing like transfers. No, people laugh at me for this because I, I used to have to do transfer on my commute for work. And I literally would take the long way around just so I don't have to transfer and wait for another, another okay. thing. But, but I'll be all right. Well, you know, gas is a lot. So, you know, I figured, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know some people are taking the train. I, I did see that. It's still going. It's still going west, though. And then still going and then still going east. You know, That's true. just to let you know. Listen, they, tried... they made they made sure Long Island was going to be difficult to get to. Yes, because <laughs> there were um for years. It comes up every 10 years to build a bridge crossing the Long Island Sound into Connecticut. Now, the people who are raising kids, you know, who are in that working age, 
they think it's a great idea because then that'll provide job openings to work in Connecticut and people in Connecticut to work in Long Island or at least Nassau and Suffolk, Long Island. Okay. Like, Uh-oh. oh, hell no, I don't want all the old people coming over here. And, you, know, you know what I mean? So, they don't and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Because they're retired while people in their 20s are out having a good time and people in their 30s and 40s are raising kids and going to work or whatever the case is. So, it's usually in these small towns in, you know, small town USA, most of the uh, retirees control like the little tiny local governments and mm-hmm. stuff like that because they need something to do. Interesting. Interesting. Well, they're gonna mm-hmm. get a they're gonna get a shock when they see all of us. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not hey, I hey. <laughs> they're gonna probably think I'm the help. They're gonna be like, oh, oh I'm so. Are you I, the help? I used when I was driving a um when I was driving a taxi out in Nassau County. Um, I used to like uh these places called like uh Old Westbury. Um, the Brookvilles, which is Brookville, Upper Brookville, and Old Brookville, um, those are very wealthy neighborhoods. And rich people like to live in utter darkness because I drove at night. So <laughs> they had gates. They weren't gated communities because a, a gated community is a gate that leads to an entire community. I'm talking about each property had a gate that you had to be buzzed in. Okay. And you would take a 30 second drive up the driveway. Oh, right. I thought it was right here. All right. Got a customer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right here? All right, boss. I right, have a good one. All right, no doubt. Um, so when I used to uh, drive, right? So, yeah, you would take a 30 second drive up the driveway. And you'd be like, oh, that's a nice house. Is that the house? No, no, that's the help's house. The mansion's over here. Okay. So I never picked up the owners. I always picked up either the help or the children, the, like the, you know, the teenage, you know, rotten, spoiled kids of, of the owners or whatever. And, you know, they have, you know, it's like, well, what do your parents do? They either own a vineyard or uh, worked on Wall Street or, have some business or something like that. Um, when I was doing Ubers out there, someone actually showed me the, um, the, did you ever see Wolf of Wall Street? No, I haven't. Uh, you got to see it. There's a famous part where Jordan Belford, Leonardo DiCaprio's character has some drugs and it doesn't kick in until he's at this, um, what do you call it? At this, 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 what do you call those fancy things that the rich go to? This country club. <laughs> so, and he somehow got home. So a customer showed me where that country club was. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot of wealth there, you know, and that's just Nassau. That's not even Suffolk County. Head to your and, on 115th Avenue. and, um, what happens is, is that, I always tell people for those, you'll find 
like progressives, like progressive politicians and progressive voters, you will find more coalition. All right, all right, shut up. Um, in the uh, you will find more of a coalition with rural poverty. There's a there's a there's a synergy between country mouse and city mouse. Okay, they both experiencing poverty, but a different type of poverty. Okay, that's who you're going to find coalescing with. You're not really going to get that much from the suburbs. I know I live out here. You know, it's just like you said before. These are people who they want the New York Health Act, but it's just like, oh, if I don't get it, oh, shucks. You, you know what I mean? It's like I'm on Medicare anyway. You know, that one of those type of things, you know, but people who live in the city, people who are upstate, north of the Bronx, way up there where there's rural hospitals and they don't have too many doctors and stuff like that, you know, that that's who you got to coalesce with. If you're, if you're in a big city, don't coalesce with the suburbs, coalesce with the, with the people who are in, in rural parts of your state, you know, like they might be, have different views when it comes to guns and maybe abortion or whatever the case is. But when it comes to working class issues, universal issues, I'll call them, you'll find a co coalescing there. Well said, Roger. That's a good point. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, it. Tim. Okay, cool. Tim, I think you're okay, Tim, we're going to try this again. Let's see how this goes. You just have to hit the unmute button. Hello, you got me? I got you. Yay. First off, Sabi, I'd like to say thank you for having this conversation because it was something I was worried about, but really didn't know how to go about addressing it, especially with like peers and colleagues. So... I just wanted to say thank you. I learned a lot today, and there's a whole lot of information out there and a whole lot of resources that I can uh, refer to now to get myself really educated on this on this issue because it is something that is near and dear to my heart, having been homeless a few times here in Portland, Oregon. So, ah, thank so you. you're you're in um you're in Portland. Yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm located in Portland, Oregon, and. Yeah, the, the homelessness here is outrageous and the cost of living is ridiculous and especially for what they're trying to pay people. So <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate you actually having this discussion. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks so much, Tim. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about, uh, I saw a guy on the news, actually, it was him and his wife, and he was homeless in Portland, and they were living in a tent, and he said that he actually had a tech job. I'll never forget that story. Mm -hmm. Like, he had, a, he had a tech job, and he still, like, couldn't afford to live there. Yeah. When I was homeless, when I was homeless here, I... I literally have 20 years banking experience and working like in fraud investigations, billing disputes and so forth. So, I mean, I, I have a skill set and living here, I was working for Wells Fargo at the time as a financial crime specialist. 
And I was homeless. And you know what I mean? I'm working for one of the largest banks in the world. It was hell just to even get coffee at work because they didn't want to provide coffee. It was just, you know, to dealing with those type of that type of greed with our corporations that we have in this country. Ugh. But they didn't have yeah, co- it, they didn't have free coffee? No. And, and and we're in Portland. Like I'm like we had our team meeting and I brought it up and I was like, why don't we have coffee? Like I don't understand. Like y'all can't spend a few dollars to get us some coffee like you know that motivates us you know like and plus we live in portland where there's a fucking coffee roaster like every block like I was about y'all, to can, say. y'all can't manage to find coffee somewhere like really like <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah it's 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 you know and i've worked for major banks i've worked for capital one i've worked for you know like i said wells fargo i've worked for hsbc bank and every single time like each one of these banks that you know come in they just it's it's like they you're being attacked on several levels you know what i mean not not only are they like investing in the fossil fuel industries and stuff like that and not only are they investing with these equity firms to buy up homes and 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 screw people over that way they also screw over their own workers so it's like you know you're being screwed at at so many levels by these corporations through you know throughout our society like you know it's just it's 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 ridiculous that's true that's true it's just crazy. I, I can't even provide free coffee. What a joke. Right. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, boy. And it seems like something that's so, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and the cost to them, to, to the benefit that they would receive from it. It's just, it's, just, it's so, the greed is just, it's, it's ridiculous. I agree. It's just beyond. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Tim, thanks so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having this conversation. Like I said, I really appreciate it. All right, guys. Okay. Great discussion tonight, guys. Uh, Definitely, if you haven't had a chance to do so, check out tonight's uh, YouTube segment where we talked about this, or at least um, that was one of the stories tonight where we talked about the cost of living. And I also put the link to that housing uh, site the site I was talking about on the show tonight, the housing report, I put that here in the chat function on, um, on call in here. So if you want to check out that site on your own and do a little bit more research about the state that you live in, uh, I think that would be helpful to a lot of us. Like, again, like you might already know that your state's expensive, but then when you see like just how much, people should be making there. It's, it's quite shocking, but thank you guys so much. I'm calling it a night going into the weekend. I do have a couple of, uh, stay tuned next week. I have a couple of interesting interviews coming up, so stay tuned for that. Um, and I, hopefully I'll have that housing story for you about what's happening at that residence here in Boston, Hopefully I'll have that uh, uploaded for you at least sometime next week. So other than that, guys, have a good uh, weekend and thank you so much for hanging out and I'm signing off.